0: Defense wins championships, right? Coming up, Notre Dame's three biggest needs on defense in this recruiting class so the Irish can get back to competing at a championship level once again. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on and welcome into Locked On Irish. It is Thursday, March 30th, and thank you for making this your first listen of the day. As always, this show is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. So if you're watching along, please give the video a thumbs up below and subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening to the podcast, Rate the show five stars and subscribe there as well. My name is Tyler Wojak, and I'm the host. I'm a Notre Dame alum and producer for college football talent at Fox Sports. I've also been covering the football team since 2020. In today's episode, I'm going to look at Notre Dame's three biggest needs on defense in the class of 2024. I went over the top priorities on the offensive side of the ball in yesterday's episode. So if you haven't heard that one yet, go check that out once you finish with this episode. We're following the same rules as yesterday, right? This is based on the current construction of Notre Dame scholarship roster and not taking into account the guys who have verbally committed already. As I said before, verbal commitments are still meaningful, despite what some pessimistic people say. But until those guys sign on the dotted line and are enrolled in the school, I think these are the position groups that Notre Dame coaching staff needs to prioritize the most in this cycle. All right, at number one, I think this one's pretty obvious. It's defensive ends slash edge rushers, whatever you want to call it. I'm probably going to call them both um, in this segment. But looking at the big picture, we all know how much football has changed over the past decade plus, maybe even more than that, honestly, at the college and pro level. There's been a massive shift toward pass-first offenses, teams that run everything out of the shotgun, multiple receiver sets, motion, trying to get guys open in space. And the game looks so much different now than it did, say, 20 years ago. I actually remember watching uh, football with my grandpa before he passed away in like the mid-2000s, and he would take it as a personal affront if a team had the audacity to pass the ball near the goal line. Literally nothing would upset him more. He was not a huge fan of the spread offenses and all that. Um, He was very much a four yards in a cloud of dust guy, run the eye formation every single play. Like, I think if he saw a goal line fade today, it would make him sick. Um, But this isn't new information. Like, you're smart. You know this already. You know how uh, teams prioritize passing the ball now in modern offenses. But as a result of the shift in the way the game is played, we're seeing how the importance of different positions on the field has fluctuated. So quarterbacks, I mean, that's always been the most important position on the field. We went over that a lot yesterday. But the value of great quarterbacks continues to increase exponentially. If you look at the average salary of the top 10 players by position in the NFL, quarterback is far and away number one. But wide receivers have moved all the way up to number two. And right behind that, you've got defensive ends. So the average salary for a top 10 receiver in the NFL is $23 million. And the average salary for a top 10 edge rusher is just shy of that at $22 million. This tells you that the league thinks wide receivers and edge rushers are the most important positions behind the quarterbacks. And that makes sense because the receivers are the ones catching the passes and the edge rushers are the ones getting after the quarterback to disrupt the passing game. Going into the 2022 season, 11 edge rushers made at least $17 million in average annual salary. 31 made at least $10 million. Like, that is a ton. But that shows you how much these teams value the position. Look at the 2022 NFL Draft. The first, second, and fifth overall picks in that draft were defensive ends. Three out of the top five. Like, that's nuts. Let's look at it in college. Which teams consistently have the best defensive ends? Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson. And which teams consistently win in the college football playoff? Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson. So at this point, if you, you aren't getting to the playoff if you don't have a dominant pass rush. It's a prerequisite now, and it's not a coincidence that when Notre Dame made the playoff for the first time back in 2018, they had two great DNs in Julian Aquara and Khalid Kareem. Those two combined for 22 and a half tackles for loss and 12 and a half sacks that season. Add J- Jerry Tillery to the mix inside, and you've got an awesome defensive line. And that group really helped propel Notre Dame to the playoff that season. In 2020, Notre Dame didn't get quite the level of production from their defensive ends as they did in 2018, but they still had Ade Ugundeji and Dalen Hayes both of which were drafted in the fir- or in the fifth round, excuse me, in a young Isaiah Foskey who recorded four and a half sacks that season, and he was on his way to becoming the all-time sacks leader in Notre Dame history. That's who Notre Dame has to replace this year and in the short-term future if they want to get back to that level. So let's take a look at what Notre Dame currently has in the roster. So they've got Ohio State grad transfer, Javante Jean-Baptiste. He's a nice add for the season, but he'll be gone after the fall. Then you've got Nana Osafa He's another grad student, but he technically has two years of eligibility remaining And I think Nana could have a big season this year, but he's only recorded three and a half TFLs in one sack up to this point in his career. So I'm not sure he's the type of guy you want leading the way on the edge. But then again, he could change my mind this season. The two seniors at the position are Alex Ehrensberger and Jordan Botello. Ehrensberger, he hasn't seen the field that much in his career, but Jordan Botello is a great opportunity this season to make a name for himself. I actually mentioned him a couple episodes back as the biggest X factor on the entire team this spring because his performance this season could drastically alter Notre Dame's ceiling. There's not a single junior defensive end on the roster, so to make up for that, Notre Dame moved sophomores Josh Burnham and junior Tui Alamaka from linebacker to to defensive end. They've also got Aiden Gobira from that class there as well. He was a true defensive end coming out of high school. And all three were highly touted prospects coming out of high school, but considering Josh and junior both switch positions and the amount of work Gobira has to do in the weight room to be physically ready for that position and to take on that kind of workload out there, they've all got a pretty steep learning curve at the defensive end position. I'm not saying they won't be good players I'm just saying it's probably going to take some time for all three of them in the most recent class obviously Notre Dame missed out on Keon Keeley, who decommitted from Notre Dame to go to Alabama that was a major blow like there's no way you could possibly spin that one Keely was a top five prospect in the entire country he was a perfect fit for Notre Dame and everything else that comes with Notre Dame outside of just a football and look that one's going to sting for a while like he could be a future prospect top five overall pick in the NFL draft. And we're still going to be thinking about how we missed out on him. Notre Dame was able to sign Bupacor Traor in this class. He's a four-star in the 24-7 sports composite and the number 2019 player overall in his class. But he's coming off a season-ending injury. They also signed Armel Mukum as well. But he's more of a developmental project. He was a three-star in the number 539 player nationally. So he's very raw right now. Like, he just hasn't played that much football in his life. But he's got good size, and the hope is that he can develop in the same way that Ade Ugedeji did in his career. So if we're being honest about the situation here... None of these guys really jump off the page, at least not right now. Botello could be a breakout player this fall, and some of the younger guys might develop into really good players too, but we're going to have to actually see it on Saturdays before we can say for certain. And to be fair to the young guys, like the guys I mentioned earlier, like Khalid Kareem, Dalen Hayes, and Julian Aquara. They didn't play a ton earlier in their career, and it took them some time before they really came into their own and turned out to be the really solid players that we all remember. So it's not really a numbers issue for Notre Dame here. They, they got plenty of guys in the room. It's just that none of them have shown us that they can be great at the position, at least not yet. Hopefully, Al Washington can develop that young core into becoming very good players because that group definitely has promise, but frankly... Notre Dame can't afford to wait around forever. They need to get some big-time players to come in at that position to get the defense back to where it needs to be in order to compete for the college football playoff. Right now, Notre Dame only has one defensive end commit in the class of 2024 in Owen Waifel out of the Hunt School in New Jersey. Owen's a low four-star prospect. He's ranked 367 overall in his class and the number 28 edge rusher. He's huge. He's listed as 6'3", 290. Um, So it's a good start, but Notre Dame still has a long way to go. And it's looking like Notre Dame's best bets at defensive end of this class are Bryce Young. No, not that Bryce Young. The Bryce Young, who is the son of Notre Dame legend and NFL Hall of Famer Bryant Young. And then they got Jacob Smith. Bryce is a four-star at North Carolina, and obviously he's got plenty of connections to Notre Dame. But Notre Dame still needs to work a little bit to get that one over the line because he's starting to get more interest uh, nationally. So we'll see how that one plays out. But I do think he'll end up at Notre Dame. Jacob Smith is another four-star. He's rated as the number 183 player nationally and the number 16 edge rusher in this class. He's also got a twin brother, Jared Smith, who plays on in the interior of the defensive line. It looks like they're a package deal wherever they choose to go to college. And based on the reporting that's out there, they're both considered Notre Dame leans, but we'll see what happens. Notre Dame is also looking at four-star Marquise Lightfoot out of Kenwood Academy in Chicago, as well as Benedict Uma from Avon, Connecticut. I got to say, I used to live right by Avon when I was working at ESPN. And I gotta say, um... I would not have expected a big-time edge rusher to come out of that area. But you know what? I'll keep an open mind. Um, the real crown jewel in this class at defensive end is five-star Elijah Rushing. He's six foot six, two 253 pounds, and number 19 player in the class overall, and Notre Dame is going after him really hard. It sounds like Florida is the favorite to land him right now, but when he set his five official visits this summer, Notre Dame was on the list, so the Irish are still clearly in the race. If Al Washington and Marcus Freeman somehow pull it off and they get a commitment from Rushing, that would be just absolutely massive uh, for this group. You add in Bryce Young and Jacob Smith, and you've got three really good defensive ends in this class. Either way, Notre Dame can't afford to miss on this cycle at the end. It's arguably the most important position on any defense, and it's one where Notre Dame currently lacks the star power needed in order to get to the level that they want to be. All right, coming up next, why Notre Dame needs help on the back end of their defense in a big way. The tournament is heating up, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com and sign up today to claim your no-sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to fanduel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. I appreciate you joining me here, and you can help out the show by hitting subscribe from wherever it is that you're tuning in from. Today, we're looking at Notre Dame's biggest needs on defense in this recruiting cycle, but if you want to hear more about the needs on offense, go check out yesterday's episode once we're done here. All right, let's move from the front end of the defense to the back and see what's going on at safety. I'm going to be honest, and I, I don't think this is a particularly hot take. This is the worst recruited position at Notre Dame in the last five years, by far. I know they got Kyle Hamilton back in 2019, and thank God they did because the rest of this list is straight-up gross. Let's go back to 2018. Notre Dame signed Houston Griffith, Derek Allen, and Paul Muala. Houston Griffith was around for a long time. Um, I mean, he was a pretty highly touted recruit. Um, I'm going to be nice here and just say that he was not the most productive player when he was at Notre Dame, but he was a leader in the locker room, I guess. Um, Derek Allen transferred to Georgia Tech after 2020. Paul Moala transferred to Idaho after 2021. In 2019, you got Kyle Hamilton, stud, all-time great. Uh, no notes there on that one. And then you got Litchfield Agevon, who transferred to Rice after 2021. They didn't sign a single safety in 2020. And then in 2021, they signed Kari G, who transferred to Georgia Tech after 2021. And then Justin Walters, who just recently medically retired. In 2022, again, they didn't sign a single true safety prospect. And in the words of Taylor Twelman, what are we doing? Like, this segment could end right now. Just look at at this list. Well, I guess you can't look at it. Good radio, Tyler. Nice. How do you only sign seven true safeties in a five-year span and only hit on one of them? That's insanely bad. Both are bad. The fact that you only sign seven players in a five-year span at one position is bad. And then for one, one out of them to hit is just... It's inexplicable, man. Like, it's it's truly awful. Notre Dame was able to make up for some of this by converting DJ Brown and Ramon Henderson from cornerback to safety. And both have turned out to be, you know, pretty serviceable back there. Um, obviously, Kyle Hamilton was amazing and basically saved that position for two and a half years. And Brandon Joseph was a decent fill-in this past season. But it's unacceptable. Like, we're looking at an unprecedented streak of shit recruiting at safety. Chris O'Leary came really close to overhauling the position entirely in his last class, but a lot of things went wrong, and Notre Dame only ended up with two safeties in this class when they were trying to sign four. I mean, we all remember the Peyton Bowen saga. That was awful. Like He committed to Notre Dame at the very beginning of the year, and he stayed committed, uh, at least publicly, to Notre Dame throughout the entire year, but was very publicly flirting with Oklahoma and Oregon and all these other schools. And you didn't know if he's going to commit to Notre Dame. And then on signing day, he did the thing where he like come, he put the Notre Dame hat up and then switched, then put it to Oregon and then ended up decommitting there and then committing to Oklahoma. I I don't love rehashing that whole thing, but you all remember what happened there and it sucked. It was unfortunate, but Notre Dame had to recruit Bowen as hard as they did and they had to stick it out until the very end because he was just that good of a player And I'll give credit to the Notre Dame staff because they were prepared for the possibility of Bowen decommitting, and they recruited four-star Brandon Hillman to play at safety, and they were really early on him. Like, I know now, in retrospect, like, seeing Hillman decommit and then immediately go to Michigan, and he was picking up offers from Ohio State, LSU, a bunch of big-time programs. Like, that wasn't always the case with Hillman. Notre Dame was very early on him. They scouted him out well, and they got him to commit. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. It sounded like an academic issue. Hillman... Did not satisfy the needs to go to Notre Dame, and now Notre Dame is stuck with two safeties in that class. Now I don't want this to make it seem like I'm dogging Adon Schuler and Ben Minich because those are the two guys who did commit to that class or did commit at safety in that class, and they're both on campus already as early enrollees. Um, and I'm actually pretty high on both of them. The problem is Notre Dame needed three to four safeties in last year's class, and they're down to two. So. There is an argument to be made that this should be the number one biggest priority, just, you know, given how low the numbers are, but given the nature of the defensive end position and how important it is to the team, that gives it the edge. No pun intended there. The fact of the matter is Notre Dame needs to sign at least three safeties in this class. Marcus Freeman has already said publicly that Notre Dame will look to add a safety in the transfer portal when it opens up again this summer, but odds are whoever that safety is will be a grad transfer and will only have one, maybe two seasons left of eligibility. Um, Notre Dame's got six-year senior DJ Brown. He'll be gone after this season. Ramon Henderson, Xavier Watts, both have two more years left, and then obviously the true freshman have four years. So numbers are slim now, and they might even be tighter next season if Notre Dame isn't able to land at least three guys in this class. But it's not just about adding guys for depth either. Like Notre Dame needs guys in the back end of their defense who can really play. As it stands, they don't have any safeties currently committed in this class, so the coaching staff still has a lot of work to do at this position. Some names to keep an eye out for. Four stars Marquise Galagos and Jalen McClain. Notre Dame is in the mix for both of them, but they're both getting looks from some big time schools out there, too. So they're not locks by any means. They're rated pretty similarly, though. Jalen McClain is the number 250 player overall in the class and the number 22 safety, um, according to the 24 7 composite. And Galagos is right behind him as the number tw- 252 player nationally and number 23 safety. If I'm being completely honest, those numbers don't really excite me especially when you consider how close Notre Dame was to landing a five-star at the position just last year. But I understand it takes time for the coaching staff to figure out who are the legitimate prospects and for their board to take shape. So I'll hold off any criticism for now, but make no mistake about it. Notre Dame needs at least two to three high-quality safeties in this class to make up for years' worth of misses at the position. All right, we'll wrap things up in segment three by looking at the interior defensive line. Is Notre Dame going to be able to land five-star Justin Scott? I talked a lot in the open about the importance of having really good defensive ends in college football, and the guys in the interior are also vitally important, even though they don't get nearly the same kind of shine that the guys in the edge do. Defensive tackles, in my mind, are like the offensive linemen uh, of the defense because they're selfless, they're crucial to the success of the entire defense, but due to the nature of the position, they don't have a ton of opportunities to stuff the stat sheet. But we all know, like we watch football, we can see how a really disruptive defensive tackle can greatly impact the game like jerry Tillery was awesome for notre dame and he was a just a game wrecker in on the inside and having a guy like that like Tillery was so good that he actually did kind of light up the statute i think he had eight sacks in his final season but you get my point here notre dame has lost some key guys in the position lately most notably jason adamiola and jacob lacy but the rest of the group has some potential let's look at the seniors here you got howard cross riley mills and aiden kyan Keanana, I'm probably going to mess up that name a couple of times. Howard Cross and Riley Mills, they both have two years left of eligibility remaining, which is really solid. Aiden has three more years left because he suffered a torn ACL, missed all of last season. Howard Cross is definitely the most proven of any of these guys. He's not the biggest guy, but he's got incredibly fast hands, and he's been really solid in his career so far. I'm excited to see what he can do this season. Riley Mills played the strong side defensive end last year, but they moved him back to the interior, which I think he's he's more physically suited to play. Riley Mills was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list going into last season, so we, we know he has the physical traits and necessary to to be a big-time college football player. The Aiden Kayanana situation is weird because um, it sounds like the Irish Illustrated guys like Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, they're super high in them, but in all of their podcasts and some of their reporting, they make it seem like the Notre Dame staff is not nearly as high in them. Um, and there's a potential for him to leave and transfer somewhere else. But I don't know. I don't really want to speculate on that. All I know is he's in spring practice. And for now, I'm going to treat him like he's on the team and plans to be for a while. In the junior class, you've got Gabriel Rubio and Justin Anye. Uh Rubio actually came on kind of late last season. He looked pretty solid. He recorded 17 tackles as a redshirt freshman last year, including a tackle for loss in the bowl game. Meanwhile, Anya he's barely seen the field, and he was a low three-star recruit. So to be honest, I don't have super high hopes for him. But maybe he could change my mind. Sophomores, you got do- Donovan Heinisch and Tyson Ford. Ford was a big-time recruit coming out of high school. Like he was a top 100 player, top 120 player nationally. We'll see if he starts to put it together this season. Looks like he had to do some work in the weight room to get to get physically ready to play college football. And if Donovan can be anywhere close to the player his older brother Kurt was, that would be. Huge for Notre Dame. Like, Kurt was just – he was awesome, man. He was one of my favorite Notre Dame players. I think he holds the record for most games played by a Notre Dame player ever. He was around for six years. Um, He forced his way onto the depth chart early when people weren't super high on him. He was a pretty low recruit. He was just like your prototypical defensive tackle. Gritty, grinder. He had the eye black. He looked scary as hell. And then he goes undrafted but then forces his way onto the field again for the Houston Texans last year. So he's a great story. Donovan, high hopes for him. We'll see what he can do for Notre Dame. And then you got the fresh in Brendan Vernon, Devin uh, Houston. Both were pretty highly rated recruits. Um, Notre Dame could really use one of these guys to step up this season, but I'm not too confident in what they'll be able to do this season. Uh, Houston early enrolled, but he's dealing with an injury, so he's going to be out for spring practice. And then you've got Brendan Vernon, who his story is interesting because at one point when Notre Dame got him to commit, that was a huge deal because everyone in the world thought Vernon was going to go to Ohio State. Um, he went to Mentor, which is a massive public school in Northeast Ohio, big time football program. Like they they're always competing for, say, in Ohio high school football, uh, is some of the best in the country. So that was big in the moment. But then after a senior year, his stock started to go down. Like you started to see his ranking decrease a little bit. And I'll be completely honest with you guys. I watched two full menor games last season because he was going up against my cousin who plays for Medina. Uh, Keep an eye out for Jack Wojak, by the way. Um, And I watched those games, and frankly, Vernon didn't do anything. Now, to be fair to Vernon, Medina, the team that he's going up against, they go like five wide every single play. They... They don't even have a running back. They pass literally every single play. The quarterback takes the shotgun snap eight yards behind the line of scrimmage. So it's a little bit different. Like Menner was rushing three, maybe even two on some plays and dropping eight or nine back on every play because that's just the lineup they were going against. So Vernon was getting some double teams. But I'm just saying, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. There was not one game in, or not one play during either of those games where I was really like, wow, Brandon Vernon, game record. But again, we'll see how he does at Notre Dame. I think I like what he has to say about how he has to earn everything at Notre Dame. So I'm probably going too long in this. So let's move on. Um, theoretically, every guy I've just mentioned should be on the team next year. So this isn't a numbers problem. Like the amount of defensive tackles Notre Dame gets in this class will probably have to do with what the underclassmen showed this season. Like I said, This isn't a numbers issue like it was at safety. It has more to do with the importance of the position and lack of proven commodities outside of the seniors in Howard Cross and Riley Mills, who might only be around one more year anyway. Like, if those guys have great seasons, they might go to the NFL after this year. And then it might start to slowly creep up into being a numbers problem. I mentioned Jacob Smith, the four-star defensive end, and his twin brother, Jared, who plays D-tackle. Jacob is rated slightly higher than Jared, but they're both really solid players, and getting both would be fantastic for this group. Um, Ernest Willer Jr. is a big name that Notre Dame is in the running for. Willer is a top 50 player out of IMG Academy in Florida. Notre Dame had a good connection with him early on, but we'll see if they can get him on campus again soon. Notre Dame had a commitment from Brandon Davis Swain in this class. He's a four-star, but he decommitted, and it doesn't sound like Notre Dame is in the mix for him anymore. The real difference maker in this position group, and honestly the entire class, is Justin Scott. I'm sure you've heard the name before, but let's go over it again. He's a five-star He's the number 11 player overall in this class. He's the number three defensive lineman. He's the number one player, Illinois. He's from St. Ignatius in Chicago, so it's really not far away at all from Notre Dame. And look, Notre Dame is going to be in a fight for Justin Scott from now until, honestly, the moment he signs, and even maybe even when he early enrolls. Like He is that good of a prospect. But the good news is Scott was just on campus this past weekend, and he said it's the best visit out of the ones he's taken so far, which is great to hear. The prox- the proximity to home is important to him, which is great. Um, he even said he's a mama's boy, so he wants to stay close to home uh, so he can be around his mom. I totally get that. And it's very rare that Notre Dame's proximity to anywhere actually works in their favor. Usually it's something Notre Dame's going up against because they have to recruit nationally because, let's just be honest, high school football in the state of Indiana isn't that great. But Scott seems to really like the staff, and he might come back for another unofficial visit this spring game uh, with C.J. Carr and Cam, Will- Cam Williams, which would be massive for Notre Dame to get him on campus again. The problem is Georgia, because when Scott was, uh, ab- he announced his commitment date, was going to be his birthday in late January, and he's getting crystal ball to Notre Dame, and everyone's saying, oh, my God, Notre Dame's going to get a commitment from him. This is huge. And then all of a sudden, Georgia came in with an offer, and then that commitment date went away. And, you know, I don't blame Scott at all. Like, I want him to look at all of his options and consider them before making a commitment so we don't have to deal with the Peyton Bowen thing again with Scott because that's just the nature of the business when it comes to five stars. These schools, especially the top schools like the Georgias, the Alabamas, they're going to go after him hard all the way through the end. That's just that's what you're dealing with when you're when you're dealing with five star prospects. So Notre Dame's in a dogfight for this one, and frankly, when I saw that uh, that offer from Georgia, like, was anyone surprised? Like, if you're a defensive tackle, especially, who wouldn't want to go to Georgia? Look at what they did with Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter. Those are two of some of the best defensive tackles to play college football in the past decade, and they both went to Georgia. They're both. Like, they were both unbelievable at the college level. So if they were to get Justin Scott, like, if he's looking at those guys and thinking, wow, that's who I want to be as a player, like, I get it. So Notre Dame wants to win national championships. We know that. But in order to be the best, you've got to beat the best. And in order to beat the best on Saturdays, you've got to start doing it on the recruiting trail. Notre Dame hasn't done that a whole lot lately. Like, and Justin Scott is another test case for this theory. They lost Keon Keeley to Alabama last year. They can't afford to lose Justin Scott this year. And Notre Dame is going very, very hard recruiting the defensive line in this class. According to Pete Sampson, Notre Dame has already offered over 40 different defensive linemen in this class, and that number could go up as this cycle goes on. So... I'm saying it's the number one and number three priority in this group. Safety, obviously, at number two. But it's clear that the Notre Dame staff sees it the same way, and I'm hopeful that they can get it done and bring in a really solid recruiting class this year for Notre Dame. That's going to do it for me today, and that's a wrap for this week of Lockdown Irish. Thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. I will be back on Monday of next week to go over Notre Dame's first and only full practice to the public, which will take place this Saturday. Outside of the Blue and Gold game, that practice is going to be the most we'll see from this team this spring, so I'm sure there's going to be plenty to talk about after that. And I'm, hopeful, I'm hopeful to have a guest on as well, uh, someone who's actually at the practice, because I will not be in South Bend this weekend. On the way out, remember to subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts, and give us a follow on Twitter at LockdownIrish, on Instagram at LockdownIrishPod, and my personal Twitter account, at Tyler Wojak. That's at Tyler, W-O-J-C-I-A-K. For your second listen, check out our brand new podcast, Locked On College Basketball, where experts Isaac Shade and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know on and off the court, plus hear from big name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. That's Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll see you on Monday.